everybody, we come to look at Daniel chapter 10 again, but specifically with the nation of Iran in mind. So the title of this podcast is End Times Bible Study, section 21, Daniel 10, Iran in Prophecy. I've taken my notes from a sermon that Jacob Prash preached at Believers in Grace Fellowship in Maryland. I think it's Illinois, the United States of America. I really liked the sermon and I really think it explains a lot from my perspective with regards to what we can look for as we enter into that last seven years of God's time clock, specifically looking at the build-up to the um, Ezekiel 38 and Psalm 83 war that will usher us into the release of the horsemen. That's my perspective. Okay, so let's just gather up our thoughts and look at a bit of background. End time prophecy in the Old Testament is centered around the book of Daniel. And as we've begun the study, I've started off with looking at the words of Jesus in the Gospels concerning his own second coming. Then I've moved into looking at the first three and a half years of the seven year period in the book of Revelation and other passages of scripture mentioned by the writers of the New Testament, uh, like Paul in Thessalonians, etc. And then I switched to the book of Daniel. If you want to understand Revelation, you need to understand Daniel. Revelation, in effect, is the unsealing of this book, Daniel. So what we see Daniel talking about, writing about, and then sealing up, and we'll talk about the sealing up when we get to Daniel chapter 12, The book of Revelation basically breaks it open, unseals it. Daniel chapter 12 verse 4. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the scroll until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and search anxiously through the scroll and knowledge of of the purpose of God as revealed by his prophets will greatly increase. In Revelation, we see that the seals are being broken. And many of the pictures, the imagery that gets used by John, essentially fit in with much of the imagery and pictures used by Daniel and within the same time frames. So let's look at Iran, the Iranians. Now, even though today the Iranians are predominantly Muslim, following the Islamic religion, they're not Arabs, they're Persians. Iran in scripture is known as Persia, and that is the actual original name of Iran. The name changed in the 1930s at the time of Hitler's rise to power in Germany. And he brought the Persians alongside of him to help him fight the Allies because 
He wanted to try and outflank the British Empire in the Middle East and also link in with Japan in the Far East. So the Iranians are Aryans, Indo-Europeans. They're not Semitic. Pe- they're not a Semitic people like the Jews or like the Arabs. They are more Germanic people. So anthro- anthropologically speaking, they are more from their their origins come more from the Germanic peoples, like the Germans and the Austrians. They are the Europeans that settled in the Near East, and so historically you can see their influence ranging into the Indus River and also down through the Fertile Crescent. The original religion in Persia was Zoroastrian. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. I'm not butchering it, but I probably am butchering it. So the, the Aryans, or Iran, the word Iran comes from Aryans. It's another word for Aryans. Their original religion is not Islam. You must remember, Islam is fairly new on the religious scene. Only around, I think it's around, and I'll probably butcher the date now, but it's around 600 AD that they started coming onto the scene. It was the Zoroastrians, and they had a prophet called Zoroaster or Zoroaster. And today, some of their religion is practiced, but not in the same way. And so you're going to be able to find pockets of this religion in Africa, India, and Persia. A lot of, a lot, much, much of the religions, as they are practiced today, and you can see this in Christianity, you can see this in uh, Judaism as well. What is what what you see being practiced today wasn't what was practiced originally. I would venture to say, and this is my personal opinion, that if Jesus or any of his apostles of the first, second century, the church fathers, apostolic fathers, if they had to walk into many of the churches today, they would they would probably consider themselves walking into uh, a false religion, a cult, with, with false practices, with Gnostic practices. The same can be said for Moses and the practice of Judaism around, Judaism around his time with the Levites walking into the practice of Judaism today in, in, in Israel and practiced around the world, which is Talmudic Judaism. Same could be said of Buddhism and Confucius. And I'm not even going to try and pronounce the, the ism on that one because I'm going to get tongue-tied. I can feel I'm already tongue-tied now. These guys were philosophers. Buddha and Confucius were philosophers, and they were can, can, they would never have defi- defined themselves as gods, but they came into right against the excesses of Hinduism, and uh, you know to try and reform it. So why am I saying this? I'm saying this because I want to make a very very important point for you to understand. Much of what you see in Christianity today wasn't practiced originally by Jesus or the apostles. And the same goes for the other religions, except for Islam. Islam 
has always been practiced the way it was as the way it is today. Okay? It has always been a religion of intolerance. It has always been a religion of oppression. It has always been a religion of violence in the past. And today, it is exactly the same. So, the, 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 the Zoroaster was to the Eastern world what Socrates was to the Western world. He was a monotheist and he realized that there was one God. And his belief system was very similar to Judaism. And he believed that people were personally and morally responsible for their actions and that they would one day face a, a judgment where they would have to give personal account. And he also believed, and this is interesting, that there was going to come a conflict between the sons of light and the sons of darkness. Now, that principle can be seen throughout most religions today, that there is going to come a conflict. You can see it in all religions, even in Satanism. Satanism they are preparing. If you, if you read the writings of Russ Dizdar and, 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 and the Black Awakening, the term that they use concerning the coming conflict to purge the world of the resistors to their satanic overlord, their Luciferian God that's coming. Islam is the same. Everywhere is the same. There's this coming conflict that is going to come. Even in biblical Christianity, we talk about it. Jesus talks about it. So we've got these writings about this coming conflict in the book of Revelation. We see it in the Jewish apocalyptic literature. We see it in other, other religions in their writings. Now, another thing. After the collapse of the Babylonian Empire, most of the Jewish community in that area remained where they were. So they were taken into exile and they stayed there. Most of them stayed there. Not many came with the Ezra and Nehemiah and Zerubbabel came back to restore Jerusalem. Not many came. Most of them stayed where they were. And they had a major influence in the religion of the day on Zoroasterism. Now, that influence can actually be seen when the wise men come from the east, the Magi. These Magi were, were the, the chaplains to the Median kings of their day. And they were the ones that came and recognized the Messiah at his birth, Jesus Christ, born in Bethlehem. So like most religions, they become corrupt over time. Something happens. So let's go back into Persia and the Zoroastrians. Somehow, the Persians now began to embrace the religion and the traditions of their enemies, the Arabs, the Babylonians. And in the day around 600 AD, it was Islam. Now, I'm not a student of Islam. I'm not a student of the history of Islam, etc. But what I, what I know, the little I know is this. Something happened in Islam. There was a split in Islam after Muhammad. 
and this split basically became a fracture at the Battle of Kabbalah. Now, what you've got to remember with the people of the of, of the, the, the the Middle Eastern countries, what happened a couple of centuries ago to the people today in those countries happened only yesterday. I'm going to go over this again. So for the people in the Islamic nations, the Battle of Kabbalah, even though it happened in the 8th century, for them it happened yesterday. The conflict still exists. And this is why you have this major split, and there's a couple of other splits in Islam, amongst between the Sunni followers of Islam and the Shia followers of Islam. The Sunni followers of Islam are mainly found in the Arab world, so you've got the and and and, and into the Western world, so you've got the Saudi Arabians and etc., the old Babylonian Empire. They accept the ongoing leadership of Islam through theocrats like Abu Bakr. The Shia Muslims, which are now the Iranian countries, the Aryan-orientated historical countries, the Persian countries, they are Shia Muslims. They accept the ongoing leadership of Islam through the direct line of Muhammad's family, especially from his great nephew Ali. If you go back to the 1980s, you have the war between Iran and Iraq. Over a million Muslims get killed there. In essence, this is the same war of the Battle of Kabbalah, the 8th century. You've got your Shia and you've got your Sunni waging war. This hatred goes back a long way in the Middle East among the Muslim nations. And as I mentioned earlier, that is how they remember things. What happened eight centuries ago is as fresh for them today as if it happened to them yesterday. Now, listen very carefully. If the Muslims are not fighting and killing infidels, Jews and Christians in jihad, they will be killing each other. So for them, the Crusades happened yesterday. When they relate Christianity and the Christian church to the Crusaders, their hatred is exactly the same as it was then as it is today. And they want revenge on the Crusades. So what the Crusades did to their nations in the Middle East, they want revenge now. And so that is part and parcel of what has been taking place before your very eyes in Europe today. They are invading and they are continuing on this war that has been waged by Muhammad since the year 600 AD. The emotional feelings, the hatreds, the belief systems are exactly the same as they were then as they are today. This is a very, very important point for you to understand about these nations. So when we read the book of Daniel, 500 BC, 538 BC, etc., what's happening there? So we read the book of Daniel, we read about the visions, we read about the, 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 the statues, 
We read about the gold statue uh, and the silver statue and the bronze and all that is taking place in that period of time. All those wars that happened in those days for the people of the Middle East it happened yesterday. They will speak of those conflicts ancient conflicts as if they were modern. Saddam Hussein when he was alive portrayed himself as a reincarnation of Nebuchadnezzar. He was Nebuchadnezzar and he was going to unite the Arab nations and he was going to now rule over the Persians. He was going to restore the Babylonian Empire. That was his thinking when he wanted to rebuild the Hanging Gardens. They link modern events to ancient events and vice versa. Now, as we go in and look at the scriptures, especially here in Daniel and in the next couple of chapters, even though we are looking at ancient nations, even though we are talking about Persia, we are talking about um, Babylon, we're talking about Israel, we're talking about the Samaria, the Sumerians, etc., etc. Even though we are talking about these nations and talking about them within their context, 500 BC, the people today that come from those nations live and experience the same emotional feelings that their ancestors did at that period of time. You need to understand this. So what was associated with the ancient nations will be associated with the modern nations. So the rivalries between these nations then they will exist today. The hatred between the nations then will exist today. The wars that took place then, they want to perpetuate those wars today and take revenge on their enemies today in the same way. Now, we in the West, we don't have that kind of a mindset. We don't have that kind of a, of, of, of a mind view, a world view. But if you want to interpret scripture, especially as we go into Daniel and start talking about Iran in prophecy, you've got to start to try and understand this point that I'm trying to make for you here. Right, let's go back to the Persian people around the time. The poor people in Persia began to take on Islam because of the corruption of Zoroastrianism. So Zoroastrianism had been corrupted. Christianity is being corrupted. And that is why you're starting to get conversion rates of people going over into Islamic, uh, the Islamic religion. Because it is as pure today as it was in the days of Muhammad. It hasn't changed. The same attitudes that existed then are here today. There's no compromise in them. 
But there's compromise in the church today. There's compromise in Western society today. And so you see this repeating itself today due to the rise of the apostate church, due to the rise of false religion, due to the rise of false teachers and wolves in sheep's clothing within the church in the West. And so instead of us preaching the pure gospel of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, we're preaching a false Christ now. And in their core, people know this. And so they are gravitating to what is still a pure strain of religion, even though it's a false religion. So in Iran, this is what took place. In, I mean, in Persia, this is what took place. And most people who now in Iran follow the mullahs, they are the Shias, the Shia Muslims, who accept the ongoing leadership of Islam through the line of Muhammad, specifically his nephew, Ali. Now, let's look at just very, very briefly another break in the Islamic faith, the Bahia. This is indigenous to Persia. It's a cult within their uh, circle, the Islamic circle, the Bahia. Now, the Shia in Persia hate the Bahia. And they, they will try and murder them and kill them wherever they possibly can. Because the Bahia's founder, not only is he buried in Haifa in Israel, the Balu or the Bab, they consider him the Mahdi. The Shias are waiting for the Mahdi, the 12th Imam, their Messiah, who will lead them into conflict to wipe out Israel. Indigenous Persian Islam is Bahia, their sacred number being nine. They believe that Jesus was the teacher for his time, Moses was the teacher for his time, Buddha was the teacher for his time, and he was the last Mahdi. And the fact that his tomb is in Israel makes the Shia even the Shia's hatred of them even more ferocious. So in Persia. Islam today, you've got hundreds of thousands of these mullahs, uneducated except for an understanding of their Quran. Very primitive in terms of culture, but predominant in terms of population. Now, all people in Iran are not all Persians. So you've got a seismic Islamic Shia community, Kurdish community, Abijani populations. And another problem that you have in, uh, in, in, in Iran is that much of the oil production and resources are not in Persian hands. They're, not politi they're politically under their control, but they're not in the areas geographically. They're along the Gulf coasts in Azerbaijan, and that's where the Shia Muslims are. Now, the Sunnis from Saudi Arabia hate the Shias in the Gulf states, and the Shias in Persia hate the Bahia. And even though they claim that in their house there is peace and outside of Islam there is no peace, 
they fail to understand their ancestry and the curse that is upon them from scripture. There will never be peace amongst the Islamic nations. That's my perspective. Genesis 16 verse 12. He, Ishmael, will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against every man continually fighting, and every man's hand against him, and he will dwell in defiance of all his brothers. Ezekiel 35.5 Because of you, descendants of Esau, have had an everlasting hatred for Jacob, Israel, and you have handed over the sons of Israel to the power of the sword at the time of their tragedy, at the time of their final punishment, the Babylonic conquest. And so there, there, there will never be peace between anyone and Islam. These people can't even get along with themselves because they don't understand the curse that has been brought down upon them by their ancestor Ishmael. Let's look further into biblical prophecy. Isaiah 44, I want to read this to you. <clears throat> NRV. But now listen, Jacob, my servant Israel, whom I have chosen. This is what the Lord says. He who made you, who formed you in the womb, and who helped you, do not be afraid, Jacob, my servant, Jeshura, whom I have chosen, for I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. Some will say, I belong to the Lord. Others will call themselves by the name of Jacob. Still others will write on their hand the Lord's and will take the name Israel. This is what the Lord says. Israel's King and Redeemer, the Lord Almighty. I am the first and I am the last. Apart from me, there is no God. Who then is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and lay out before me what has happened since I established my ancient people and what is yet to come. Yes, let them foretell what will come. Do not tremble. Do not be afraid. Did I not proclaim this and foretell it long ago? You are my witnesses. Is there any God besides me? No, there is no other rock. I know not one. All who make idols are nothing, and, they, and, and the things they treasure are worthless. Those who speak up for them are blind. They are ignorant to their own shame. Who shapes a God and casts an idol? Who can profit, from, uh, who can profit nothing? People who do that will be put to shame. Such craftsmen are only human beings. Let them all come together and take their stand. They will be brought down to terror and shame. The blacksmith takes a tool and works with it in the coals. He shapes an idol with hammers. He forges it with, a, with the might of his arm. He gets hungry and loses his strength. He drinks no water and grows faint. Uh, grows faint. The carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with a chisel and marks it with, a comp with comp compasses. He shapes it in human form, human form in all its glory, that, that it may dwell in a shrine. He put down cedars, or perhaps took a cypress or oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest and planted a pine, and the rain made it grow. It is used as fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread, but he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and bows down to it. Half the wood he burns in a fire. Over it he prepares his meal, he roasts his meat, he eats his full. 
He also warms himself and says, Ah, I am warm, I see the fire. For the rest, he makes a god, he's idly, bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, and their, mind clo their minds close so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say. Half of it I use for fuel. I even baked bread over, uh, over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. Shall I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block of wood? Such a person feel, feeds on ashes. A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, Is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Verse 21. Remember these things, Jacob, for your Israel are my servant. I have made you. You are my servant, Israel. I will not forget you. I have swept away your offenses like a cloud, your sins like the morning mist. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. Sing for joy, you heavens, for the Lord has done it. Shout aloud, you earth beneath. Burst into song, you mountains, you forests, and all you trees, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob. He displays his glory in Israel. This is what the Lord says. Your Redeemer has formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, the maker of all things, who stretches out the heavenlies, who spreads out the earth by myself, who foils the signs of false prophets and makes fools of diviners, who overthrows the learning of the wise and turns it to nonsense, who carries out the words of his servant and fulfills the predictions of his messengers, who says of Jerusalem, It shall be inhabited. Of the towns of Judea, they shall be rebuilt, and of their ruins I will restore them. Who says to the watery deeps, Be dry, and I will and dry up your streams? Who says of Cyrus, He is my shepherd, and will accomplish all that I please? He will save Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt, and of the temple, let its foundations be laid. And this is what God says about Israel. And this is what God had said about Cyrus, the only Gentile ruler ever to be portrayed as a picture of Jesus Christ. And just as he was raised up to destroy Babylon, we see Jesus coming and he will do the same to the last Babylon. He will destroy it utterly and completely. They all start out well towards the Jews. Persia I'm talking about now. And you have king upon king upon king, which we've articulated in the Bible studies previously, who have been given, who, who gave decrees to rebuild the temple, to restore the sacrifices and burnt offerings, and to rebuild the city and its walls. But as we come down in the ages, Something changes in the Persian nation from being, from being a nation that was very, very positive towards the Jews. Remember, the Babylonians took the Jews captive. And the Persians now took over the Babylonian Empire, the Medes and Persians. And now they released back to Jerusalem the Jews through decrees of their kings. But something happens in the 20th century now that 
turns the Persians, the Iranians, against the Jews. So, what we see all the, all the way along is that the Aryans were always benevolent towards the Jews. 2 Chronicles 36.22 Now in the first year of King Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he sent a proclamation throughout his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Ezra 1.1 Now in the first year of King Cyrus, Persia, and so it goes on. Nehemiah chapter 2, Artaxerxes returns the Jews to Jerusalem. Esther chapter 10 verse 1, Artaxerxes or Xerxes in Esther marries a Jewess Esther and probably starts following the Jewish God. The prime minister of the kingdom at that time becomes a Jew. So we've always had the Aryan nations dealing positively with the Jews, but something happened in the Aryan nations towards the Jews. Let's come down now to Germany in the 20th century. Now listen to this. Einstein was not only a Jew, he's a German Jew. Now, not that I promote these men, but Karl Marx, Sigmund Freud, German Jews. Uh, you look at the Jewish surnames today of lots of prominent Jews and Jews, generally speaking, in America. Goldstein, Steen, Berg. The Jews were not persecuted by Germans in Europe all the way up until Hitler, as they were in the other European countries that instituted programs against them. The Jews influenced the Germans and their culture, and the Germans influenced the Jews in their culture. So the, 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 you, you've got this language, Yiddish, European Jewish language. It's a form of German that was spoken by the Jews in Germany. I mean, at that time, only Hebrew was spoken in religious ceremonies, but everybody else spoke Yiddish. In 1946, the newly formed Jewish nation had a debate on whether they were going to use Yiddish as the nation of Israel, the language of Israel, I mean, or were they going to revive it? the Hebrew language, and they chose to revive the Hebrew language because of the Holocaust. So the question we've got to ask ourselves is, what happened? What happened in the past with Persia? And what happened in Germany? Daniel chapter 8, 19 to 27 Amplified Version. He said, Behold, I'm going to let you know what will happen during the final time of the indignation and wrath of God upon the ungodly, for it contains the appointed time of the end. So now we get given a time frame of a vision of the ram and the goat. And then we can follow this vision as I've been talking to you about it through the other podcasts, chapter, chapter 9 and the previous one, chapter 10. 
and we can start connecting the dots here. So what was going to be revealed to Daniel takes place within the time frame of God's wrath, the wrath of God, the great tribulation, the end, the appointed time. And then we start to identify the identity of the ram and the identity of the goat. It gets given to us in scripture. So verse 20, we see the identity of the ram. The ram which you saw with the two horns represents the kings of Medea and Persia. Verse 21, the goat, the shaggy rough-coated male goat represents the kingdom of Greece. And the great horn between his eyes is the first king. In chapter 10, uh, chapter 10 we, we last, last podcast, we spoke about the conflict that Gabriel had bringing an answer to Daniel in the second heaven between the prince of Persia and the prince of Greece. So just keep that in mind. Verse 22, Daniel 8. Regarding the shattered horn and the four others that arose in its place, four kingdoms will arise from his Alexander's nation, although not with his power and heritage. At the latter time, at, at the latter period of his reign, when the transgressors have finished, a king will arise insolent and skilled in intrigue and cunning. His power will be mighty, but not by his own power. And he will corrupt and destroy in an astonishing manner, and he will propose and do exactly as he wills, and he shall corrupt and destroy mighty men and the holy people. And through his shrewdness, he will cause deceit to succeed by his hands, his influence. He will magnify himself in his mind. He will corrupt and destroy many who enjoy a false sense of security. He will also stand up and oppose the prince of princes, but he will be broken, and that by no human hand, but by the hand of God. The vision of the evening and the morning which has been told to you is true, but keep the vision secret, for it has to do with many days in the now distant future. And I, Daniel, was exhausted and was sick for several days. Afterwards, I got up and continued with the king's business, but I was astounded at the vision, and there was no one who could explain it. So in chapter 8, we have the vision of the conflict between the ram and the goat. The ram, Medo-Persia, fights the goat, Greece, east versus west. This is the first time there has been a European that takes both a geographical and ethical control of the known world. And we see the rise of the small horns, the four horns. And from that rise of the four horns, we have the rise of the Seleucids and we have the rise of Antiochus, which we've spoken about in the previous podcasts. So the Europeans came against the Persians and Daniel has repeated visions, the same thing taking place in the character of the previous one is replayed over and over and over again. Now, going back to the territorial spirit, not, let me not say territorial spirits, although that is the, a language you get locked into every now and then. Some people mistranslate or misinterpret this by saying territorial spirits, and I just did it right then. A territorial spirit is a description, not a translation. 
So the translation here is principality, prince. For example, like the, the Monaco in Europe, now it's a principality. It's a country that is ruled by a prince and, 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 and the, the prince takes his title from it. So we have the prince of Persia. Daniel 10, 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia was standing in opposition to me for 21 days. Then behold, Michael, one of the chief princes of the celestial princes, came to help me, for I had, for I had been left there with the, king, with the kings of Persia. And as I mentioned in the previous podcast, we have these principalities over nations. Probably from there, people start talking about territorial spirits, etc. But that would, I don't want to go into that, but then we're looking at the demons in Matthew 8, 28 to 31, where Jesus cast them out of the Gerardines and they didn't want to leave the area. But that's for another podcast. So the three things now that push back the complete um, evil control of the planet by Satan and his Babylonian system. And the Babylonian system is this confederation of demonic principalities, fallen angels, and human counterparts. The only three things that keep this back is the work of the Holy Spirit, human government, and the preaching of the gospel of the kingdom of God by the remnant church. Two of these things are starting to dim. Once we enter into the seven years, and I, and I, I feel specifically as we go into the three and a half year, the last three and a half years, the Holy Spirit's resistance to, to the enemy will stop. He's not going to go away, but it's going to stop. And, and, and Satan will have unfettered control of the planet for three and a half years through the Antichrist. Now, each of these visions that we see begins with the prophet telling us who's ruling at that period of time politically and gives us a description of what's happening. So for example, in Daniel chapter 9 verse 1 and 2, in the first year of Darius, the son of Athusas of Median descent, who was made king of the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the books the number of years which according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the desolations which have been pronounced on Jerusalem would end and it was 70 years. So he has this vision, he locks it into a time slot of the ruling king and he has this vision of the abomination of desolations. Now, in Daniel chapter 9, if we jump forward to verse 25 onwards, we see a description of the 69 weeks. And I've described this to you in when we discussed Daniel chapter 7, how it's broken broken down in the different verses that you can look at with regards to that. In Daniel chapter 9, 24 to 27, the whole prophecy is presented in verse 24. Then the first 69 sevens are presented to us in verse 25. Then the events between the 69th week and the 70th week are presented in verse 26. And then we have the last week presented to us in verse 27. 
So Jesus had to come and die before the second temple was destroyed. The prince to come is going to come in and make a seven-year covenant with the people, and he breaks it halfway through. Now, this is just a side thought. Some people that are promoting this kingdom now theology say that this second prince is Jesus, uh, the one who who does the seven-year covenant. But that would mean that he would have a seven-year ministry. These guys are the preterists. This is their preterist view of end times. There will be an abomination of desolations. And here it is the Romans, the iron and the iron and clay that will do this. Antiochus does it. Then the Romans do it. And thus it's repeated again and it will be repeated again with the Antichrist, the final revelation of, 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 of the Antichrist. In Daniel chapter 10, verse 1 and 2, we have another time connection where, where they talk about in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was Balthazar, and the message was true, and it referred to a great conflict, warfare and misery, And he understood the message and had an understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, had been mourned for three weeks, three entire weeks. So in the third year of Cyrus's rule, all right, something, and I told you in the last podcast that this was Jesus Christ, the the, the messenger that Daniel saw was Jesus Christ, similar to what happened with Paul. But I think that this person, if if it was Jesus, this, this Jesus wouldn't have been able to, or the Prince of Persia would not have been able to resist Jesus for three weeks. Jesus would have just walked through the second heaven to Daniel. So I don't think it was Daniel, as I've said earlier, earlier and in the previous podcast. So Daniel is praying, and he's fasting over this period of time. And while he's praying and fasting over this period of time, a battle is raging with the prince of Persia for three weeks, Arche, in the Greek language, principality. And I've read to you the scriptures in Ephesians 6, 12, that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, Arche, principalities. So, going back to the 1930s in Germany, what takes place is the church begins to compromise. And you have a rise of liberalism within the church, a dilution of its message. And and, and what they do is they stop preaching the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So you have a rise of liberal Protestantism. Higher criticism begins to become the dominant theme in the church. It takes over the church. It takes over the universities. 19th century German rationalism begins to take over the traditional evangelicalism of the church of the day. So what happens to the German people? The German people turn back to begin to worship their old gods, the old Teutonic war gods. You see, Nazism is deeply embedded in the occult. 
and whenever you have anything that is connected to the cult, to the enemy, to the Antichrist, they are going to come along and they are going to now fight against the purposes of God to prevent Revelation 19.19 taking place. So they want to wipe out all the Jews, because that's who Jesus is coming back for, and they're going to wipe out the church, the true church, the remnant, because they are the ones that are opposing them right now. They're the ones that are influencing the government, that are bringing in a Judeo-Christian culture within society. And so you've got this rise taking place today again in Western culture. And people are now turning back to the false gods. And who are these false gods? These are these fallen angels that, 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 that were worshipped in the Babylonian systems. When the church goes off its mission, when the church stops preaching the true doctrine of Jesus, the true teachings of Jesus, you will find that the nations, the peoples of the nations will turn back to the worship of their fallen gods, their, their, their ancient gods, the ancient fallen angels, these principalities, and these demonic powers will again begin to resurface and you will see a rise in persecution against the church, the true church, and a rise in anti-Semitism. It makes them then begin to want to re-establish Babylon, the Babylonian system, the beast, the beast system, that, that confederation of demonic fallen principalities connected with their human counterparts that want to rule and govern the earth and introduce the kingdom of Satan on earth and take planet earth outside the realm of God's authority. Hence, keeping Jesus off the planet, Revelation 19.19. So today, you're not talking about Babylon, although you are, but you're using words like globalization. You're using words like New World Order. This is the system of the Babylonians. This is the system of the iron and clay. And when this rises, as I, as I mentioned, anti-Semitism will rise and persecution against the true church will rise. And, is, and, and, and do you think this is a coincidence? It is not. It has happened before. It has repeated itself over and over. Antiochus, the Romans, Hitler, what's happening with Islam against Israel, and it's going to happen again one final time. So when the Antichrist comes three things are going to happen. The Holy Spirit will no longer restrain the horsemen and the principalities and the bound fallen angels. The faithful church is going to be removed at some point and the governments of this world will be completely ruled unhindered 
by the Babylonian system, the confederation of these archaea, these principalities, these princes that are over the nations, evil fallen angels under Satan. And so the great tribulation, the last three and a half years of the seven years that are still to come, will not have any of these three restrainers working to restrain evil. There will be absolutely no restraint whatsoever on evil, no restraint whatsoever on the forces of, of Satan. It will be as if hell is on earth during that period of time. And that is why the Lord says such a time has never happened and such a time will never happen again. It will be the time also of the wrath of Satan. Evil, unleashed, evil, unchecked. And I don't think that we can even conceive what this looks like. I want you to think about it. It's not going to just be one of them, Prince of Persia. It's going to be all of them at once with Satan himself personally incarnate in the Antichrist, all on planet Earth, all knowing they only have three and a half years left. In the millennium reign, I think the opposite will take place. Jesus Christ will be ruling the Earth and the elect principalities, the angels that have not fallen, they will be leading, ruling and guiding the nations with the church, with the Jews at that time. So Satan's going to be granted three and a half years of time on the Earth just as Jesus was granted three and a half years time, uh, three and a half years on earth. And um, yeah, we'll see how that goes for the world. And we're going to be talking about it as we get back into the book of Revelation. So, <clears throat> the prayers of Daniel were his participation in this universal, global, interspiritual, interdimensional battle that took place. And our prayers need to be exactly the same as we go into this period of time just before the beginning of the seven years. And remember, the beginning of the seven years, I believe personally, will start off with a Ezekiel 38, 39 war, Psalm 83 war, and then the release of the horsemen. Daniel 11, 1. Also I, in the first year, Darius the Mede, arose to be encouraged and a protection from him. So... At the moment, we in the Western democracies, we can vote. But how much more influence do we carry? How much more influence do we release upon the affairs of nations when we actually begin to pray like Daniel prayed? When we hold fast to the pure doctrine of the Word of God and begin to pray petitional prayers based on what God has said in His Word staying on mission and being disciples. Daniel chapter 10, let's just read 14 to 21, Amplified Version. Now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the vision is in regard to the days yet to come. So when he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face towards the ground and was speechless. And behold, one who resembled the Son of Man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke to him who was standing before me. O Lord, because of the vision, anguish has come upon me and I have retained no strength. For how can such a weakened servant of my Lord talk with such a being as my Lord? 
For now there remains no strength in me, nor has any breath been left in me. Then the one, Gabriel, whose appearance was like that of a man, touched me again and he strengthened me. He said, O man highly regarded and greatly beloved, do not be afraid. Peace be to you. Take courage and be strong. Now when he had spoken to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Verse 20. Then he said, Do you understand fully why I have come? Now I shall return to fight against the hostile prince of Persia, and when I have gone, behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. But I, Gabriel, will tell you what is inscribed in the writings of truth. There is no one who stands firmly with me and strengthens myself against those hostile spiritual forces except Michael, your prince, the guardian of your nation. So, I believe that in the latter days, the prince of Persia is going to be fighting against Michael, the prince of Israel. And we're going to be talking about that when we get into the Revelation 12 and start talking about the middle of the tribulation period. Now, this has not happened before. All right? The Persians have never or were never against the Jews before until probably around 1979 when the Shah of Iran was overthrown. So the Shah of Iran claimed to sit on the peacock throne of Cyrus. Okay? Up until that point, they weren't against the Jews. Now the principality that Daniel saw way back 500 BC when he got the vision now gets power. As I've said, in the Middle East, you will always see nations who've always been friends with each other in the past will always be friends today. The nations in the past who've always been hostile with each other, no matter what they say today, will always be hostile today. So when you start looking at the connections between Israel and possibly Saudi Arabia as they as they sort of stepping closer together to neutralize the effects of the Iranian extension of itself into Syria and uh, southern Lebanon through his uh, through Hezbollah those who were hostile previously will always be hostile now so pay attention to that for example in Lebanon the Lebanese speak French. They don't want to be called Arabs. They want to, they want to maintain their Phoenician heritage. They're Christianized. They've always been friends with Israel. In the past, they were friends with Israel. And today, if they could, they would be friends with Israel. So when the Shias, the, the Shia Muslims, drove them out of southern Lebanon with the backing of Syria and Iran, who took them in? The Israelis. They became Christian refugees. Where does this link go back to? It goes back to Hiram and Solomon. Those who were friends in the past will be friends today. Let me give you an example of this history. Read a couple of passages of scripture. 1 Kings chapter 5, 7-8. When Hiram heard Solomon's message, 
He was greatly pleased and said, Praise be to the Lord today, for he has given David a wise son to rule over this great nation. So Hiram sent word to Solomon, I've received the message you sent to me and will do what you want in providing the cedar and the juniper logs. And the story just goes on between the connection between Hiram and Solomon. Chapter 10 and 12 of 1 Kings 5. In this way, Hiram kept Solomon supplied with all the seed and juniper logs he wanted. And Solomon gave Hiram 20,000 cords, cords of wheat as food for his household, in addition to 20,000 baths of pressed oil, olive oil. Solomon continued to do this for Hiram year after the year. The Lord gave Solomon wisdom, just as he had promised. And there were peaceful relations, relations between Hiram and Solomon, and the two of them made a treaty. Chapter 5, 18, 1 Kings 9, 11, 1 Kings 9, 27, 2 Chronicles 8, 2, 2 Chronicles 8, 18, 2 Chronicles 9, 10. The Kurds and the Jews have always gotten along. Who do the Kurds descend from? The Medes and the Persians. The Aryans turned against the Jews in Europe and in Persia. That has never happened, never happened before. So now, what we have is an unfulfilled prophecy or prophecies in Scripture starting to be fulfilled. For example, Isaiah 17.1, a prophecy against Damascus. The mournful, inspired oracle, a burden to be carried concerning Damascus, capital of Aram, Syria, and Israel's defense against Assyria. Listen carefully, Damascus. Carefully, Damascus. Listen carefully. Damascus will cease to be a city and will become a fallen ruin. So Damascus is said to be the oldest inhabited city in the, on the planet. And yet this is what the Lord says you can start to see a possible fulfilling of this prophecy starting to take place. Damascus will cease to be a city and will become a fallen ruin. Now, these are prophecies that have multiple fulfillments. There are them. But there are prophecies that have happened and this has not happened yet. So you've got prophecies that have multiple fulfillments, but then you've also got prophecies that have not happened yet. So we have prophecies that are still to take place. And so it is with prophecies with regards to Iran that have not yet taken place before. Let's go back to Daniel chapter 10, 18 to 21. Then the one... Gabriel, whose appearance was like the sun, like of a man, touched me again, and he strengthened me. And he said, O man, highly regarded and greatly beloved, do not be afraid. Peace be to you. Take courage and be strong. Now when he had spoken to me, I was strengthened and said, Lord, uh, let, me, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, do, not, do, do you fully understand why I have come? Now I shall return against the hostile prince of Persia. And when I have gone, behold, the prince of Greece is about to come. But I, Gabriel, will tell you that is in, inscribed in writings of truth. 
There is no one who stands firmly with me and strengthens himself against these hostile spiritual forces except Michael, your, your prince, the guardian of your nation. So these princes are hostile to the Jewish people. Michael, the archangel, shows up again in chapter 12 and again in Revelation. Daniel chapter 12, 1 to 4. Now remember what I said at the beginning of this podcast, that Daniel gets sealed up and Revelation is basically an unsealing of this, of this prophecy. So when you read about Michael here, and you read about Michael in Revelation, connect the two, and it's pretty interesting. I'm about to end the podcast with this thought. Daniel 12, 1-4 Amplified. Now at the end time, Michael, the great angelic, angelic prince who stands guard over the children of your people will arise. Whoa! Powerful, powerful, powerful. Got so much in there that you can meditate and think about. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. But at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book of life, will be rescued. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awaken, resurrect, those to eternal everlasting life, but some to disgrace and everlasting contempt, abhorrence. Those who are spiritually wise will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven. And those who lead many to righteousness will shine like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the scroll until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and search anxiously through the scroll. And knowledge of the purpose of God as revealed by his prophets will greatly increase. So now Michael, the great prince, what's it saying? Something so bad is going to happen that it has never happened before and it will never be repeated again. Jesus repeats the same thing we read in Mark 13, 19. So Mark 13, 19, NIV. Because those, day, because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. Personally, I think it will be starting off with an Ezekiel 38, 39, uh, Isaiah, uh, Psalm 83 conflict. And I think that Iran will have a role in this. I think Iran is, a, is one of the possible instigators of this beginning period of time that Daniel sees, that so terrifies Daniel when he sees it, that he has to have supernatural empowerment and encouragement to actually receive the word. And that is where I think things are headed, I think. And that is what I think taking place with regards to Iran. So keep your eyes on what takes place in the Middle East. Watch what takes place between the various nations. 
Watch what takes place with regards to their alliances. Remember the alliances of the nations currently today are like shifting sand. Consider the alliances back in the past because what happened in the past basically to them happened yesterday. And so those alliances in the past that were allied will stay. Those that are not will not. So keep your eyes fixed on what is taking place there. Pay attention to geopolitics all around the world because we're looking at Babylon. Pay attention to how your left wing is connecting with Islam. It's Babylon. It's this confederation of demonic forces to bring about the rule of Satan through the Antichrist on planet Earth and keep Jesus off the planet. Revelation 19, 19. They're headed towards that. Pay attention to what has happened, uh, happening to the earth itself because that's one of the signs Jesus gives. Pay attention to what's happening financially because Babylon is also a financial system. But always pay attention to what's taking place in and around the nation of Israel. Well, that's it for this one. And uh, we'll be going into chapter 11, Daniel chapter 11 in the next podcast. God bless you. Have a great day.